I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. This sermon series, entitled Wisdom in the Wilderness, focuses on Jesus' temptations in the wilderness following his baptism. He was led by God into the wilderness to plan his ministry, and Satan met him there. But first, we should consider who Satan is, how he entered our world, and how we can withstand the temptations he dangles in front of us. The scripture for today is from Genesis chapter 3, beginning with the first verse. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they suddenly realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. My college alma mater has as its mascot a blue devil, which is not a very effective way of securing God's blessings on sports teams. (laughs) Yes, there's a Duke student who dresses up in the full costume, the horns, the long tail with the point on the end, the pitchfork, and he cavorts around the sports arenas. He's a popular figure. Lots of fans like to take selfies with the Blue Devil. Now, school mascots are no big deal. However, it is concerning if we begin to think of the devil as a comic figure. And it is very serious. Anything that causes us to take the devil less seriously. 
And indeed, it is dangerous. It's a sad fact that many, many Americans do not even believe that the devil exists. And some have said that the, the devil's greatest victory has been to persuade many people, smart people, that he is not real. In at least 43 separate references in the four Gospels, Jesus spoke of this evil personality, giving him a variety of names, Satan, the devil, the enemy, the adversary, the tempter. And the Bible declares that here on earth, there is a fight to the finish between the forces of God and the powers of Satan and his demons. So the first question, when did the conflict between God and Satan begin? Well, he was even before the creation of the world. Believe it or not, it started in heaven. Yes, Lucifer was an angel in heaven. He was a top-ranking angel. His sterling characteristics are described in Ezekiel 28. He was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Ah, but then Lucifer fell victim to the deadliest sin of all, pride, pride. According to Isaiah 14, Lucifer said to himself, I will make myself like the Most High. And so war broke out in heaven. And approximately one-third of the angels joined Lucifer. Michael led the forces of God. And they defeated Lucifer and his angels. And then Revelation 12 tells us that Lucifer and his crowd were hurled out of heaven down to earth. Lucifer's name was changed to Satan or the devil. And his angels became demons or evil spirits. So that takes us to Satan's first appearance on planet earth. As described in Genesis 3. Now, if you were writing a musical score for the creation story, oh, the first two chapters, the music would be upbeat, majestic, soaring, because it's describing God's incredible creative ability that we see everywhere. Ah, oh, but then when you get to Genesis chapter 3, the music would change. It would become ominous, foreboding, Heavy, because the bad guy is about to come on the scene. Satan enters disguised as a snake. I wonder, I wonder what the snake looked at like in the Garden of Eden before it was cursed by God and caused to slither around on the ground. I wonder what the snake looked like. The Bible says the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Max Lucado says, a devil of a snake fed Adam and Eve a line and an apple and the gullible couple swallowed them both. When Satan attacks you and me, just rest assured he won't look like a snake. He won't even look like a blue devil. No, the Bible says the Satan is a master of disguises and he masquerades as an angel of light. The devil can be as smooth as, 
as a Mike Lindell selling slippers and sheets. The devil can be as crafty as a timeshare salesman with an MBA degree. The devil may appear as a good-looking young man in a Brooks Brothers suit. And given the fact that the devil likes to work in religious settings, he may be wearing a clerical collar. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the, the, ser the serpent asked an ominous question to Eve. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Just imagine the tone that he used. Did God really say that? Implying that Eve would have had to be simple-minded or naive to take God's word at face value. So for the first time, Eve wondered, is God really an honest broker? Is God really looking out for our best interest? With that question, Satan planted doubt in Eve's mind. Did you ever wonder why God put the forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden in the first place? Didn't God know that anything that is forbidden takes on added attractiveness? Yes, yes, God knew that. Why did he do it? He refused to take away our freedom of choice. God calls for volunteers, not draftees. God wants us to walk by faith and live by faith. The next step in the sad process of temptation is Eve distorts God's word. She replied, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Wait a minute. That's not what God said. God said, yes, don't eat the fruit from that particular tree, but God didn't say don't touch the tree. Eve added something to God's word. <clears throat> now, you've heard of the new math. And some of you remember the old math. Let me tell you the most dangerous math on earth. It is adding or subtracting something from God's holy word, the Bible. The Bible is God's word for us. It includes his plan of salvation for us. God's pathway to happiness in this life and blessedness in the life to come. The late great bishop William R. Cannon said this, to change even one jot or tittle of the Bible in order to make it conform to some human agenda is to risk damnation. To attempt to modify the Bible to serve a racist or a feminist or a liberal or a conservative purpose is the most dangerous of all heresies. The primary issue that today in America is dividing most of the major religious denominations is the reliability of God's Word, the Holy Bible. There are some religious leaders in America, including some Methodists, who believe that certain parts of the Bible should be discarded or revised to accommodate the styles and the customs of this secular culture. That is the devil's favorite form of math, persuading people to add or subtract something from God's holy word. Now we come to the final step in the tragic 
process of temptation. Satan calls God a liar. That serpent hissed, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of that fruit, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now notice how shrewd the serpent, Satan, was. He takes a half-truth, sugarcoats it, and mixes it with two awful lies. The half-truth is, yes, your eyes will be opened. Their eyes were opened to the hellish, haunted world of sin, guilt, and shame that they had not seen before. But along with that half-truth, the devil sold two awful lies. The first one, you'll be like God. Oh, no, you won't. And the second one is, you will not die. And every human being has been dying ever since. The devil's strategy reminds me of the way my mother gave me a, an awful medicine when I was a child. It was a foul medicine called castor oil. Now, you younger folks, when you say your prayers tonight, thank God that you were born in a post-castor oil generation. But my mother somehow thought that every spring... You ought to get a dose of that stuff. Now, in order to disguise the foulness of it, and it may have permanently damaged my taste buds, I'm not sure, but in order to disguise the, the foulness, she would mix it with orange juice. But that was useless. When mixed with castor oil, that orange juice would just shrivel up and perish. Well, the devil's strategy is to orange juice his temptations, hiding the cost of sin inside the allurement of greater knowledge. And like any good fisherman, he exposed the bait and he hid the hook. And the devil is still doing the same thing. His favorite bait is money. And it has been reported that of all the insurance claims in a year, approximately 75% have at least some degree of fraud in them. Has to do with money, love of money. And then for weeks now, the front page of our newspapers uh, has display, have displayed accusations of greed. One of the most prominent attorneys in South Carolina over the past 25 years is in jail today, accused of 18 crimes. And all of them related to money. Greed is the most seductive false god in America. But our gracious God comes to the rescue. Thank God. When we are washed in the blood of the Lamb, our wallets are cleansed too. When we are baptized, the water not only touches our head, but all of us, including our bank accounts. And God has graciously provided a vaccine against the sin of greed. It's called tithing. Yes. Let me tell you, it's almost impossible for a normal human being to take the first 10% of his or her income and give it to God unless God has a controlling share in your heart. And if God has a controlling share of your heart, Satan has a hard time getting in. And you are virtually inoculated against the sin of greed. 
Another of the devil's favorite baits is sex. Now, don't get the wrong idea because the Bible is not prudish about sex at all. And there is nothing wrong with appreciating beauty uh, in the opposite sex. I mean, we would have to be blind to miss it. There's a great story told about two wonderful Supreme Court justices, Oliver Wendell Holmes and Louis Brandeis. Uh, they were great friends. Um, Holmes was in his 90s and uh, Brandeis was in his 80s. And one day they were walking from the Supreme Court building to a nearby restaurant for lunch and down the sidewalk they passed a beautiful young lady, striking. And after they passed her, the two old men walked on in silence for a little while. And then Holmes turned to Brandeis and he said, Oh, Lewis, what I wouldn't give to be 70 again. <laughs> now, Holmes may have been bragging about his abilities and attractiveness at age 70. But one thing is sure, that old man in his 90s could still appreciate beauty when he saw it. To notice a pretty lady or a handsome fellow is only human. But when we take that second long look, we get into trouble. That's when, often when, lust begins. You know, if old King David had just taken one look at beautiful Bathsheba and then walked away, oh, he would have been spared a world of trouble. But he took a long, long, long second look. And during that long second look, lust was born and it led to action. That great reformer, Martin Luther, whose hymn we sang earlier in the service, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Martin Luther said this, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. The Bible declares that marriage between a man and a woman is the only right context for sex. Why does God say that? Because God wants his people to experience sex at its very best and to avoid harm and heartbreak. And God knows that a faithful marriage is the only context that offers the security and the trust and the intimacy needed for the ultimate sexual experience. Some time ago, a young lady wrote a, a letter to the famous advice columnist, Ann Landers, and let me read you that letter. Dear Ann, Al and I are college seniors. We met during our freshman year. The attraction was instant and mutual. After a few weeks, we were having a meaningful relationship, in quotes. In modern terms, that means we were sleeping together. We talked about getting married after graduation. I thought we had an understanding. So I let him move in with me. Last night, I started to talk about the kind of wedding I wanted. He looked very uncomfortable. Finally, he blurted out, let's not spoil everything by getting married. And then he began to recite the latest divorce statistics and added, a piece of paper and a ring are meaningless. I am shattered and heartsick. Now I'm asking myself, why should he marry me? 
He has all the advantages of marriage now and none of the responsibilities. I'm ready to admit that I bought into a lifestyle that has made me ashamed of myself. It has cheated me out of what I wanted most. Signed, Heartbroken. Satan, the master salesman and the father of lies, always tries to sell us things, usually sordid and cheap things, maybe as small as an R-rated movie or as big as an illicit affair. He loves to sell on the installment plan. Yes, go ahead and take what you want now. Just pay me later. Don't worry about it. Oh, but those bills always come due. Verse 6 of Genesis 3 is one of the most tragic verses in the whole Bible. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now Eve is sometimes treated harshly because she was the first to sin and led her husband into sin. But, you know, let's get honest about it. It took a pretty good sales pitch from that serpent to sell Eve and lead her into sin. But what did it take for old man Adam? She just handed him the apple and said, hey, eat some of this. And the old boy fell for it. He was a pushover. The sad story of the fall of Adam and Eve ends with the guilty couple hiding from God behind trees. Beforehand, they had regarded their naked bodies as beautiful. But now they're ashamed of them. Beforehand, they had been friends with God. They talked with God every evening. Now, they were afraid of Him. Paradise was lost. And so here we are today facing Satan and all his demons. And though they know they cannot defeat God, they know they can break God's heart by snatching us away from God for a minute or a day or a year or for all eternity. Now, next Sunday, we're going to consider Jesus' battle with Satan in the wilderness when our Lord was tempted severely. The Bible offers a wonderful strategy for defeating Satan and a wonderful recovery plan for sinners like you and me. That's for next Sunday. Let me close with an ancient Native American legend. According to this legend, there was a time when Na Native American teenager boys would customarily go off on a journey all by themselves to spend some time in solitude and to prepare for manhood. And so this particular Native American youth decided to, call, to climb a, an extremely tall, rugged mountain. And after a strenuous climb, he reached the top and stood there among, in the dazzling snow he gazed out on the horizons and it was as if he could see forever and he felt so proud. And just then he heard a rustling at his feet 
He looked down, it was a snake. And it was a snake who could talk. And the snake said to him, please help me. I'm, I'm freezing to death. I've got nothing to eat. I'm dying. Please pick me up and take me down into the valley. And the young man said, no, no. I know who you are. You're a rattlesnake. And you'll bite me and your bite is deadly. The snake said, no, no, no. Trust me, if you are kind to me, I will be kind to you. Please, please, you alone can save me. Well, the snake was very persuasive, and it was beautifully marked with diamonds, diamond-shaped places on its back. So the young man decided to help the snake. He picked it up, put it under his shirt, and took it all the way down into the valley. And then he gently placed it on the grass. And just then that snake coiled and struck him on the leg. And the young man said, but, but why did you do that? You promised me you would not harm me. You promised you gave me your word. And coldly the snake replied, you knew what I was when you picked me up. Never give Satan a ride. He'll insist on driving. As the late, great Adrian Rogers used to say, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. But thanks be to God, Satan is a defeated enemy. He was defeated through the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we claim Jesus Christ by faith as our Savior and Lord, then His victory is our victory too. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord and Father of mankind, Forgive our foolish ways. Reclothe us in our rightful mind. In purer lives, thy service find. In deeper reverence, praise. Amen.